I'm always supportive of any form of creative expression, you know, regardless if it's a kid drawing on a napkin or a tagger on a wall or a master on a canvas. I, I really relish and encourage creative thought and expression, however that might be. Hello and welcome to AI Arts In, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I am here with Daniel Barojas, also known as R5. Daniel, Hello. welcome. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. You actually received an Emerging Artist Grant from Creative Pinellas. And I did, yes. In the artist statement that you wrote about that, you talked about being very influenced by traditional cultures and ancient mythologies and popular fables and I really wanted to hear more about that. So I believe that's, for me, that's an ongoing quest of knowledge and inspiration. I have been able to be part of growing up in a culture that has a lot of traditional values in Mexico. That being said, you know, it's a modern society and I feel like modern society doesn't give traditional native teachings and understandings and consciousness and way of going about things, it's respect due because, you know, I feel like there's a lot of ancestral knowledge and teachings that, you know, we tend to overlook a little bit in modern society and they resonate a lot with me. And that's kind of like a slow quest as I learn and as I travel and I learn of new cultures and the different gods or stories that they may have and what they represent. And I will usually digest that and it will come out in later time in iconography or in perhaps an intent, but it's definitely a source of inspiration that I value mm -hmm. a lot, visually, graphically, and spiritually. Both my parents are physicists, and schooling was always very important in my household. I never quite really excelled at schooling, so there was always a, a bit of a discord there, but they didn't try to stop me from, from being an artist. So did you believe that you were an artist as a very young age, or did you come into it as an older you know, um, teenager? I think it's a mixture of both. I've always been around a lot of art growing up. My parents had paintings in the house. My uncle is a very big art collector in Mexico. My aunt also collects. My grandmother also had several paintings, and we've been going to museums our whole lives. I do have uncles that have been photographers, uncles that have been painters, cousins that have been singers, but there's very few of us that actually pursued it as a, as a career. So you said your parents were physicists. Correct, yeah. My mother is a molecular physicist and my dad, he does more like physics education teaching and practices and study guides and things like that. He's retired now, but still doing consulting in Mexico. When I look at your work, there does seem to be a lot of, well, in the patterning and the repeating of patterns, sort of the way molecules kind of line up and, mm -hmm. and they're in crystals and things like that. And it yeah. was just sort of striking to me that perhaps there's a scientific element or the physical um, structure element in your work. I'm sure it's been an influence along some, along my life a little bit. You know, uh, I remember first time I saw fractals, uh, I was just mind blown. Well, what is this? Oh, well, it's self-repeating and it's the same thing within itself. And that was just a beautiful concept. 
uh, and they're so amazingly beautiful. And I think the first time I saw them were, were in science publications. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, everything's an influence, right? If you pay close enough attention. So in terms of kind of placing you and how those things come out in the world, you are a muralist and a painter? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a creative being. I, I think I could probably manifest something with anything. But um, mostly do paintings in acrylic and watercolor. I do murals as well. I work full time in design, so I do design as well. I've worked in photography for many years. I've dabbled a little bit in sculpture and I make necklaces as well. So I'm a little bit all over the board. So when did you start painting murals? Because I think many people, if, they, if you live in the St. Petersburg, Pinellas County area, you may have seen some of your work. Yeah, well, hopefully, I hope so. So I got into muralism through graffiti. However, you know, being from Mexico and Mexico City, I was privy to many massive large-scale murals from an early age, you know, and the Mexican muralist movement is certainly a big influence. So I, I think that was probably like the first seed. But later in life, uh, I was somewhat active in graffiti probably from the age of 13 to 22, 23, something like that. And I still draw, I haven't gone out and painted graffiti in a while, but that was certainly a, a, another school of art in, you know, how to work with typographies and make your own letters and the balances of colors and outlining. And so there was a good art education with that. And sometimes within the, the graffiti culture, there's varying levels of involvement. And sometimes being fully immersed in that can be somewhat exhaustive. So I stepped back a little bit and, and focused a little bit more on my work, on canvases and things like that. And I came back into muralism maybe five or six years ago, but I shifted the focus a little bit from aerosol to paint. So I mostly work with brushes now. I, I still use cans once in a while. Uh, and I can use cans, but I've kind of shifted a little bit of the technique on my muralism. And also the subject matter tends to lie more with people and subjects and patterns rather than, you know, the lettering. So for you, is the definition of a graffiti artist more of working with letters and words and typography and a muralist more working with imagery and iconography or what? I mean, the, 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 the hot topic button of street art over graffiti, you know, ultimately I, I view it all as muralism. Yeah. So I, I think muralism is, is a correct term for being able to manifest something publicly and public art on walls whatever the technique may be. Now, content-wise, graffiti is very focused on the name and the letters. I'd say that, that and the technique is the main distinction between that and street art. However, currently I feel like graffiti is vilified and street art is praised mm -hmm. because it's also more digestible and, you know, it usually deals with subjects more relatable to people than rather just the graffiti subculture. But I don't think one needs to discredit the other. So I feel like graffiti is, is certainly one of the most beautiful forms of muralism and something that uh, has originated in the United States and 
spread mm -hmm. worldwide, you mm. know. At least in our current environment, murals have a stamp of approval. There's a permission process Correct. and a, often a permitting process. Correct, and yeah. Somebody weighs in and says yes, whereas I think graffiti is like, okay, I'm just painting this. And the, the act of vandalism that comes usually with graffiti is something that's difficult to quantify. From a graffiti standpoint, you know, you're trying to get your name out there. You see a visible spot where people are going to see it. That's where you want to go. And even within just the tags and the throw-ups and maybe the, the quicker aspects of graffiti that are most commonly seen as pure vandalism, within there lies a lot of style and, you know, how are they hand-lettering it uh, and, you know, how they draw their E or yeah, yeah. Uh, the little flourishes they put on it. So there's a whole kind of artistic value that is within each piece of vandalism. Mm -hmm. However, doesn't really fly well with society, you know, but the graffiti artist doesn't really worry about all that. And I also like the way you, you really hit it on the head. You say it's, a, it's an art form. And then there's sort of this interesting way of also describing it as vandalism. It Definitely. has that duality right, to it. Right. Yeah. And depending on the artist, their approach will vary. Sometimes even the same person might have two names, one where they do it legally and another one where they do it illegally. So yeah. you have two names. Yeah. There's the, my graffiti name, which is Rope5. Right. Uh, now it's been uh, abbreviated to R5. I just mm -hmm. usually put R5 in between my first and last name. That's uh, my artist name. You are very well trained as a fine artist. You went to the Maryland Institute of Art. You studied photography in Mexico. And when I look at your work, it is technically really top-notch. You know, it's oh, well, thank you. a lot so of skill kind. technically. And so a lot of, I think a lot of training behind color and shape and form and all of those things. Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, I try. I feel like I still have a uh, long ways to go, but uh, I certainly try to uh, deliver myself and my soul into my pieces. Usually my subject matter lies on different cultures. So I, I will do like you know, some research on different native peoples and some of their beliefs and reference several images. And then from there, I will do my own interpretation of that uh, mixed in with a little bit of my stylistic cues and, and colors and elements. Sounds like a, you know, a really vigorous but kind of playful process at the same time. It is. It is. I, f I feel like figuring out what to paint is a very kind of like uh, loose and free endeavor. And then once I actually get to painting, making it happen is a very like more tedious and process and step-by-step -step driven uh, endeavor. Uh, for me, it takes a little bit more planning and forethought and uh, my technique's also a little bit slower. So. So with the artist grant from Arts Alliance, I had pitched a, a mural with some sculptural elements. I decided to paint a wall in honor and respect 
to the Tokobaga for the place that was originally their land. So there were original inhabitants of this area, and then I was looking for a wall to find, and uh, ended up finding a good wall over on the back of the St. Petersburg Academy of Ballet. And they were really great. I painted the, the mural. The mural itself depicts a male Tokobaga on one side and a female Tokobaga on the other end and Tokobaga child peeking out from the ground up. Both the male and the female have their hands outstretched forward, kind of like giving a blessing, kind of sharing energy kind of pose. And that's the intent behind the subject matter. It has a, a hexagonal pattern all throughout it, which I believe worked really well in this particular piece. It gives it great movement. And then I built two sculptural elements that were flowers that were part of the scene out of reclaimed wood and those are on a sloped kind of triangle on each end. Now throughout the mural I did uh, a couple of public engagements so I had a mural blessing so I had a friend of mine that I've been in in several ceremonies with come and do a blessing and I had a couple other friends that were doing some uh, medicine songs in honor and in respect and in gratitude towards the Tokobaga and also towards the four different directions. This was maybe about a month and a half before Irma, right? So then Irma came and it was like, oh shit. And we were lucky the you know the, by the time landfall came it was at a much much less category than it should have been you know people were saying that it was like you know a storm we hadn't seen in a while and it seems that this area doesn't get too many storms and hal friedman the owner of the wall later posted a link to a story of why that is and so so this area is protected from nature because it carries an ancestral blessing from the Tokobaga mm, people. Mm. But uh, the fact that, you know, the, the, the land carries a blessing by a Tokobaga, I feel like is very touching. This is something I had no clue about mm. when I decided to paint it. Mm -hmm. And so since that one, I, I found that it was great for myself to tie in a personal meaning to it or, or have something beyond what you're seeing and so i'm trying to incorporate that a little bit more into mm -hmm. muralism but mm -hmm. with the shine one which followed right after that right across the street from green bench on first avenue north there's two murals from the shine festival year three mine and mikhail b were opposite each other on uh, in the parking lot in front of green bench I said, okay, well, you know, we're in Florida and, you know, we just had Irma a little bit ago. So um, I was looking at different subject matter and Tlaloc, which is the Aztec god of rain and water and oceans and things like that, which is a, a god that I've painted before in a couple of my pieces in the past. Uh, I decided to do my own interpretation of, of him. And since he's the god of water, I painted that mural as an offering to the God so that we may not be without water in times of need and we may not be overwhelmed by water in times of excess. Mm -hmm. And so that mural is an ofrenda to Tlaloc. The past 
several years I've been trying to involve patterns and illusions into my work. So all of the work that has been created under the op art movement and different patterns that when you look at them, especially in a stark contrast of black and white, it really does have some movement. Some of them will uh, make your eyes flutter. So that's been a great inspiration to me, I'd say just as much as like indigenous cultures or, or native cultures or mythologies. It just messes with your eyes when you look at it and it fucks with your vision. And, and that really inspires me. So it's like, I, I wanna merge that. So I wanna have work that can still read the subject, but it can also have a sort of flow and movement to it. So yeah, that's also a part of the current artistic dialogue. I'm trying to slowly and surely uh, pursue and polish up, you know, with each new piece. So what do you think it is about the fact that it messes with your head, this movement and this lack of stability, perhaps, or changeability that intrigues you? Maybe trying to achieve different context and visual planes and maybe even spiritual planes when you look at a work. I'm trying to do multiple things with one canvas mm-hmm. and, and and say something with the subject and and show movement with a pattern, but maybe when it's put together, it gives a different dimension. I've also worked a little bit with chromadef glasses. It's a, a film that they put on glasses that separates the colors and it brings the reds and the greens towards the forefront in the same way into the color scale. So blacks and blues would separate into the back. So when you look at a flat painting, the flat colors pop out into different planes. So it gives this added 3D effect as it's coming towards you. Not as dramatic as like the cinematic 3D glasses, but it's certainly very perceivable. And then depending on the contrast and colors and what's next on each piece, it adds a new dimension. So I think really anything that kind of messes with the sight and messes with the mind intrigues me. So one of the things that really struck me seeing some of your work that offered the opportunity to have the chromadef glasses on is that the pieces worked fantastically without the glasses and then they worked fantastically with the glasses and that made my eyes cross (laughs) how you can do that and figure that out and you know over the course of the time that it takes to do that work essentially it's two paintings in one some have been a bit more of a happenstance like i painted something and then looked at it with the chromadef glasses be like oh wow But some other ones, those were specifically planned in certain colors so that it would react in a certain way. But obviously it needs to stand alone with with or without glasses, you know. So did you have to sketch that out and plan it and sort of like, okay, this is this color and this is this color, or did you? Usually I'll do a rough sketch or a digital sketch. I sometimes will do a grid, sometimes I'll, I'll do squiggle lines, uh, or sometimes I'll just redraw it onto the surface, whether it be canvas or a wall, and then go from there and plan out the, the colors. Another aspect of your work that is very striking is the use of color. Both really bright colors, also some subdued colors, but mm-hmm. I would almost say like a super commitment to vibrant color. I like um, I like being vivid. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe in that. Uh, usually I tend to dress pretty colorful too. I got these crazy colorful necklaces all the time. I, I like color. 
I like to work in color. I think it can be challenging sometimes when you're putting too much in. So I have a tendency sometimes to uh, um, maybe overwork things or I've had certainly have in the past and need to dial it back. So I think that just falls back onto uh, the planning and trying to come up with a good color theory for what the specific task is coming up. Do you see a consistency in your subject matter? Especially over the last four or five years, there's always been a very big influence from Mexican culture and all the Aztec and Maya mythologies and iconography and deities and gods and fables. All of that has mesmerized me ever since I was a child and, you know, I've gone to many pyramids in Mexico and those are sights to behold. So. I believe that subject matter I've been using for many, many years, and uh, it's segued a little bit into more traditional cultures and their aesthetics. And uh, I was in Chile, and I discovered these little statues of these, like, fantastical beings. I was like, what the hell is this? And there, there are statues of the Ona people from Tierra del Fuego, which are now long gone. But they were actually one of the first tribes that were pretty well documented. So I, I Googled it up and there's all these like Pinterest boards with these Ona photographs from the 20s. And they're wearing these crazy costumes. They look like psychedelic spacemen. They had like these like markings on their bodies. And then like one of them looked like this big kind of like ghost. You know, like the ghosts in sheets that are usually like flying around. But it'd be like that and be like full of dots. Like very simple, but very ethereal. And I was like, oh, this is this is great. Just visually and just the impact it had on me. Uh, it's certainly something I feel like I'm going to use in the future. So when I encounter things like that, that really inspire me, it's something I hold on to. And when I feel like I'm going to manifest it into some of my own work, I'll do a little bit of research and see how I can translate that into something of my own. I always said that uh, what you travel and what you eat, no one can take away from you. And a friend of mine uh, uh, corrected me and said, and what you dance also. So, oh. so I really like that. Well, you travel, what you eat, and when you dance, no one can take away from you. And so uh, I try to embrace all three of those. You also said that you're a designer. For work, I'm a product designer. I work for Feld Entertainment. They own licenses to many live shows, Disney on Ice, Marvel Universe Live, Sesame Street. They also do Monster Jam. Uh, they used to do Ringling. And I'm in their consumer products division. So we do toys, novelties, packaging, selling environments, apparel. I'm a toy collector, so I mm. love toys my collections inspire me you know and and and, and i inspired my collections you know because I, I went out and got it yeah yeah uh, sure you know uh, i have i have masks as well ginormous wall with like a hundred masks from all wow. over the place uh you know and I, I usually tend to get cool artifacts from different native cultures so i have some of that as well and all the necklaces that i've made now over the years are a bunch of them. So let's talk about the necklaces. You're wearing one now that has got a lot of turquoise and some amber and the stones and, and are big. Uh, yeah, usually, so I've made necklaces for other people too and, and, and some for sale here and there, but mostly they're for myself. But I do tend to like the larger necklaces or longer necklaces. 
been making just the ones that uh, that resonate with me i'll usually go in large spurts when i make them like i probably won't make a necklace for a year or something like that and then i'll make six in a sitting Mm -hmm. or something like Mm -hmm. that and i'll usually buy materials as i see opportunity because sometimes with natural stones and things like that that time to get it is when you see it because you might not see that in that size or in that shape ever again I've, i've enjoyed making the necklaces and i think the the mexican influence is very heavy there because in Mexico, uh, especially with native cultures, large necklaces are commonplace. And the whole pre-Hispanic influence as well. You know, I so really like what they what they were wearing back then. I'm always supportive of, of any form of creative expression, you know, regardless if it's a kid drawing on a napkin or a tagger on a wall or a master on a canvas. I I really relish and encourage creative thought and expression, however that might be, you know. Well, thank you very much, Daniel Barajas. Thank you for having me, yeah. It's It's been a pleasure to sit down and chat. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.